Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles, let's go to Luke chapter 10. I have way too much information, so I have to knock it back and hit the high points. So we'll hit the high points together tonight, beginning with Luke chapter 10. And verse number 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. And tonight I want to talk to you on this subject. Stand on the mountain not in the cave. Stand on the mountain, not in the cave. God bless you. You may be seated. I remember some time ago, I, I think I'm a pretty good listener. I have learned over the years that a big part of pastoring is listening and letting a person speak I have had the experience of people come into my office and speak and present their problem and without me saying a word, they came to the solution. They just let them talk themselves right into the answer. Oh, I know what I need to do. This, yeah, I said, well, it was good listening to you. That sounds like you got the right answer, go for it. But I remember on one particular occasion that a person came in and they actually brought a list like a lady would take, you know, when they go shopping at Pick and Save? You know, they have a list. And this person, I knew it was going to be a while when they came in. They, they brought their Bible and their shopping list and they opened it up and started reading it. And I just folded my hands and listened and listened and listened. And then finally, when they were done, I said, well, let me give you the solution for all of this. And they leaned forward and I said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. And all these things will be added unto you. Martha, 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 Martha. Can you picture Jesus saying that to her? Martha, Martha, you are troubled about many things. As if you are in control. As if you can make a difference. And I think that's where we are sometimes when we are overwhelmed. I, uh, I, re- I have a few verses of scripture that I want to read to you. Second Timothy 1 and 7 says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Can you say Amen. 2 Timothy 2 and 4 says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, 
so that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. We are soldiers. You know what soldiers do? Soldiers fight who they're told, when they're told, where they're told. They are soldiers. They take orders. That's why we salute the brethren. We are comrades. And we don't get to wear our dress uniforms very often. Most of the time we are in fatigues. How many of you know what fatigues are? And they're not fancy uniforms. But we have been called to fight. And we fight spiritual warfare. I have learned a lot about about life from even the saints that I've pastored over the years. Um, I want to tell you this story. This is going to walk right into something I've wanted to say for a couple weeks. You know, we've, uh, Brother Brown, we've, Brother Matson, Brother Meyer, board members, we've, we've felt this pressure, this financial pressure on us for a long time. And I remember one of these times, it was the next day, the very next day that we were going to have to make the payment on the mortgage and we were in trouble. And so I had a young preacher speaking, he'll go nameless tonight, and I said to him, tonight, do not forget to take the offering. We need a good offering. Oh yeah, pastor, I got it. Don't, don't, don't you worry about it. Well, he forgot. He got excited and he forgot to take the offering. And I remember going home and I was upset with him. And I went home and I was going up the steps up to our bedroom and I said, Lord, the last thing I told the guy, I gave him one instruction. Take the offering. This one thing is needful, as we just read. And he didn't do it. And you know who the Lord rebuked? Me. And, he, and I write things down when God tells me things. And here's what he said to me. When you worry, you're not trusting. Isn't that deep? I'm simple, so he's got to talk to me like a child. When you worry, you're not trusting. Next morning, I come into the office. Secretary's there. She said, you know, last night we forgot to take the offer. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm aware of that. She said, but what you don't know is that a woman gave this to me after service and it was $5,000 for Heart for the House. 5000 I'll tell you, I almost wept when I, when I heard that news. And I normally never, never do this. I don't go to people when they make large contributions and thank them. I don't do that. But on this particular occasion, I went to the lady who didn't even have a husband, lived by herself, and gave that $5,000. And I said, ma'am, I said, you will never know what that $5,000 meant when you gave it. And you know what she said? She rebuked me. Oh, yeah. 
She said, I know. The Lord, I just did what the Lord told me to do. How can you say I wouldn't know? I said, well, I apologize and I thank you. <laughs> I apologize and I thank you. And the Lord speaks to me again and says, see, I don't even need your planned offerings. You got a plan. You try and put me in a box. And you say, this is how I have to do it. And I'm saying to you, I got multiple sources of doing things. I, I know this is going to sound bad, but I don't even need my people. I got sources beyond them. People that aren't even members of your church, aren't even members of the organization that you're a part of. I can use anybody at any time. I can speak to people that you would say, there's no way. No way. So when I hear this report a few weeks ago on Wednesday, I sat there tapping my toes on the floor as I'm listening to this incredible miracle that is taking place. I'm tapping my toes. Man, I'm so excited. I, I practically begged God to have Brother Cordell have me stand up and say, what do you think, Brother Kylie? <laughs> but I kept, I kept my mouth. I am not the pastor. This is the pastor right here. This is the pastor, and you're doing a fantastic <laughs> job, brother. But now, let me tell you how I feel about the miracle that I heard about a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night. This is how I feel about it. <laughs> That's how I feel, yeah. You know what I think of this? I think it is the greatest financial miracle that Abundant Life has ever seen. I think it is something that we should brag about. What the Lord has done, what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. To God be the glory. I've talked with a few of the board members and said, well, you did a good, you guys did a good. No, no, every one of them says, hey, don't, don't go there, Brother Kylie. This is a God thing, it's not us. We're not gonna steal any of God's glory. So I just, I hope I'm not in trouble, but I just had to say it, man. I am so excited about it. Thank God. God has unlimited resources. And if he ever calls on you, respond quickly. Amen? Amen. Well, now I'm kind of off track here, but... <clears throat> Psalm 20 and 7 says, some trust in chariots. Ever hear this verse? Some trust in horses. We will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen. We are risen and stand upright. Save, O Lord, let the king hear us when we call. The name of the Lord is a strong and a mighty tower and the righteous run into it and they are safe. God is for us, who can stand against us? Who can stand against us? 
praise God. I want to remind you of Job tonight. I know we've heard a lot about him, and so I'm not going to talk about some of the real basic stuff, but I want to present something to you that, that I've seen recently about how Satan and God work. How Satan and God work. Now, you'll remember that Job, it began by talking about how God had blessed Job and how he had all this wealth and, and this wonderful family and, and how he was a, a, an upright man and he, and he prayed a hedge of protection around his family. We've heard that many, many times. But what I want to share with you, let me read it to you from Job chapter 1. And I think this is, this is going to be very encouraging to you. Job chapter 1 and verse number 8. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth? A perfect and upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil? And Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for naught? Have you not put a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he has on every side that you have blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land? But if you put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only upon himself you shall not put forth your hand. And Satan went forth from the presence of God. Now, a couple things I want to point out here. We have a tendency to say that Job put a hedge. But that's not what the scripture says here. Satan said, you put the hedge. You got a hedge around this guy. You've blessed him. I can't get at him. Isn't that amazing? God can, should he choose to, protect us from everything and anything that Satan would like to bring against us. He can. I also noticed something here about Satan. He never barks at Job. I, I don't see anywhere in the scripture where it says, well, Satan tempted him or, or, or Satan tried to discourage him. I don't see any barking. But he's looking to take a bite out of Job. And God says, you know what? You're wrong, Satan. You're wrong. If he lost everything, he'd still serve me. So I'm going to give you permission to take from him everything he has. What has God done? He has put up a boundary. He said, Satan, I give you permission to go this far, but no further. You can't touch his life, but you can, you can touch everything he possesses. Go ahead. I'm going to prove it to you, that he's not serving me for the blessings. He's serving me because he loves me and he respects me. And so what does Satan do? He goes as far as his permission is allowed. And, and in verse 22, 
after he loses everything in Job 1 and 22, it says, in all this Job sinned not, nor he charged God foolishly. He lost everything. His family, his possessions, everything. What did that prove? Job was not serving God for what he got from God. He was serving God because he loved the Lord his God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, and with all his strength. He proved it. What an embarrassment to Satan. But he's not finished. He says, well, you know, I I got this other idea. Verse 3. If you touch his flesh. So the Lord says in 2 and 3, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth. Perfect, upright man. One fears God, eschews evil. Holds fast. He's still holding fast to his integrity. Although you moved me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered and said, skin for skin, yea, all that a man had, he'll give for his life. But if you put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said unto Satan, behold, he is in thy hand, but save his life. Now he sets up another boundary. He said, okay, we're going to take this another step further. You want to attack his body? You can attack his body. I give you permission, but you can't. Take his life. I set up a boundary. Why do you keep saying that, Brother Kylia? I believe that God allows certain things in our life, but there's a boundary as to how far Satan can go in your life, in your marriage, come on now, in your ministry. There's a boundary that God says, You can't go any further than that. You cannot go any further than that. And here is the punchline. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. There is no temptation taken you such as is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but he will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Did you hear that? God knows you, Kristapanovich. He knows what you can handle, and he knows what you can't handle. Now, you don't know. But God knows. And when Satan and God talk about you, it'll be God that sets up the boundaries and not Satan. And what you go through will be for the glory of God, but God will not allow you to be tempted or tried beyond the ability that he provides. We are not all the same. Some of us are stronger than others. But God knows each of us, and he knows what each of us can handle and what each of us cannot handle. So when you feel like you're overwhelmed, and God, I'm really questioning, you know, this is more than I can bear. No, it's not. But his grace is sufficient. You gotta rely on his grace. 
You got to trust in his promises. You got to take what he gives you to get you through whatever trial you're going through. Whatever trial you're going through. And in the end, Job had twice as much, right? Well, what does that mean? It means that heaven is waiting. And it's going to be worth it all. I loved singing those old songs. It's going to be worth it all. There's going to be a day when we are going to be rewarded for these trials and these tribulations and these difficulties that we go through. And I'm here to tell you that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. Just because you're a Christian doesn't, what did Brother Mackey say? We still get flat tires and mosquito bites and... You're not exempt from that. But he will bring us through. I've learned some things about the animal kingdom that I want to share with you too. Just a little bit of a side note. To help you to understand that Satan, if he barks, does not have permission to do anything else. I've learned something about dogs. Do you know why a dog barks when he sees somebody he doesn't know? The reason a dog barks is, one, he may wish to instill fear in you. Two, he may want to attack you. Or three, he's afraid of you. And you can find out if he's afraid of you by making a sudden movement toward him in an aggressive fashion. And if he jumps backwards and runs away, then you know that the reason he was barking was because he was afraid. I want you to know that we ought to have this kind of an attitude, that when we wake up in the morning, Satan ought to be afraid. Oh no, he's up. Now I know what's gonna happen. There's going to be the reading of the word. There's going to be some praise and there's going to be some prayer. I I don't want to hear that. Oh, no, why don't you just sleep in another hour and skip your devotional time? We should be putting fear in Satan because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. He's barking, but he has no permission to bite. no permission no permission to bite I've also learned about I've learned about lions now a lion if you've ever heard a lion roar at in great volume it it will make your hair stand on end it's a fearful thing to be close to a lion when it roars but studies have been done and this is what Some people have said about lions, the reason that a lion roars is to scare off intruders, warn his pride, which means uh, his females and, and the other animals that are part of that family, or to mark his territory and let everybody know they better get out now. But 1 Peter chapter 5 says, be sober, be vigilant, 
because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now he can roar, he can make a lot of noise, but he got his teeth knocked out and he got declawed at Calvary. He can't bite, he can't devour, he needs permission to do anything, but he can make a lot of noise. So this is my conclusion. If Satan is making a lot of noise in your life, it's because that is all that God has allowed him to do. He can't go any further. And barking is just noise. It's not action. Okay, well, I liked it. I also learned about cobras. Cobras, you know how cobras catch birds? How, how could a flying thing be caught by a crawling thing? Do you ever think of that? How could a flying thing be caught by a crawling thing? Here's how. The crawling thing, in this case the cobra, stays low to the earth when it sees its target. It crawls slowly and quietly. And then when it gets to where it believes it could be in striking range of its prey, it stands up to the best of it, its ability and puffs itself out to bring fear to his prey. And if the bird looks at the cobra and locks eyes, it is so fearful of that cobra that it is paralyzed and can't fly away. And then when the cobra knows that it has its prey in fear, it will either spit into the eyes or bite with poison and kill its prey. Is anybody preaching with me? Satan uses fear. One man said, 90% of the things I have feared have never come to my life. It is wasted energy. It is, it is a worry because there's a lack of trusting. We need to trust God. Behold, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions, Luke 10, 19. I give you power over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. 1 John 4 and 4, I already quoted it. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God is for us. We have a problem, though. One of the... I didn't mention it on the way here. I drive from, uh, I actually drive from Parkway to come here now to Abundant Life because I've already told you I am an abundant lifer. So I drive from Oak Creek to come to church and, uh, and there's all kinds of crazy people on the road. And I, I am overcoming road rage. Slowly. 
And I don't understand people. Uh, Listen to this. This is uh, Proverbs chapter three and verse five. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. I do that. I lean to my own understanding. Why? Why? Why are you doing this? In all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your path. So I had this dream. Got to tell you this dream. (coughs) Excuse me. I had a dream, and I told you I'd struggle with road rage. Please pray for me. And I come up on, I don't like guys that drive 20 over, and I don't like guys that drive 20 under. I don't understand it. So I had this dream, and I'm, I'm following this car, and I cannot get around this car, and it's so frustrating. The guy is going so slow in this dream, and I'm frustrated, and I'm, I'm waiting to look for a, an opportunity to pass and it just never seems to come and the longer it takes the worse I get and finally the Lord says take a look at what it says on the license plate and I drive up I get real close to this guy and I look at his license plate and it says understanding and I have this thought I'm trying to understand this guy which is probably an impossibility how do, how do you describe why a person drives the way they drive? I, I'll bet this guy's just thinking, what a beautiful day to drive 20 miles an hour under the speed limit. I'm in no hurry. I, haven't, I don't have a care in the world. If that guy behind me gets on my bumper, I don't care. I'm just gonna keep driving 20 miles an hour underneath. And I'm trying to understand There's the problem. Sometimes we look at the world and we say, what are you thinking? How could you come to such a foolish conclusion? You're trying to reason with understanding. But listen to what the scripture has to say beyond what I just read to you in Proverbs chapter three. This is Philippians four and five. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. I don't think that means pass in a no passing zone. But it does say be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God passes. Understanding. Wait for your opportunity, but pass your understanding. Hmm. Pass your understanding. I have learned this as well. I hope this doesn't mess with your theology here, but I have learned that the problem with understanding is the difference between roots and fruits. First Timothy, let's read this together. First Timothy chapter two, helping you with understanding. First John chapter two, 
verse 16. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Those are the roots of sin. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. All sins fall into one of those three categories. The world will pass away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The roots of sin are in those three categories, but the fruit of the Spirit comes from the Spirit of God in your life growing good things. So it's either roots or fruits that we need to take a look at. Take a look at. Help you understand. How does a person do what they do? How do they... How do they express their behavior? Because you can't understand it. Maybe that'll help you a little bit. Let me see if I can wrap this up here. Let's go over to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. I told you that we need to stand on a mountain, not in a cave. You'll remember that the man of God, Elijah, destroyed 400 of Baal's prophets, and those prophets also belonged to Jezebel. He called down fire from heaven, consumed the sacrifice, slay 400 prophets. What an exhibition of God's power, and what a mighty man of God Elijah was. Can you say amen? amen. But in the 19th chapter, immediately after this tremendous miracle, it says that Ahab, 19 and 1, told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so the gods do to me and more also, if I take not your life in the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. You got one day to live. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and he even left his servant there. This means he was totally alone. But he himself, when a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die. He said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take away my life. I am not better than my father's. And I read this and I go, who is this guy? I'm, do you have short-term memory? Have you forgotten what just happened? You're afraid of one woman? I am. I, I don't know about you. Women could be a fearful thing. But in all seriousness, I, don't, I do not understand this. I just say, hey, lady, you better keep your mouth shut. I'll call the fire down on you. But instead, he runs and he hides in a cave. You know why? 
Because rocks are a, are a fortress. Bullets cannot penetrate rocks. Did you ever think about this? People don't shoot guns at mountains because the bullets bounce off of them. People were stoned to death in the Old Testament. You didn't have to go and buy ammunition. You could just pick it off the ground. Rocks are, rocks are strong. And so instead of standing on the mountain, he runs to a cave where he can be surrounded by rocks and only face an opening so that if his adversaries come, he'll be able to see them just before they kill him. So he hides in a cave. And listen to the way he talks as a cave dweller. Verse nine, he came hither to a cave, he lodged there, behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, and he said, what doest thou here, Elijah? What are you doing? That's what God said. He said, well, I've been very jealous for the Lord of hosts. The children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've slain the prophets with the sword. And I, even only I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. I am the only one left living for God. I'm the only one doing the right thing. Everybody else is doing the wrong thing but me. I'm the last Mohican. And listen to what the Lord says. Go stand forth upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. A great storm and wind rent the mountains, breaking pieces of the rocks before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind, not in the earthquake, uh, and not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So God speaks to him. We don't get to hear what he says. And after he gets done talking, it says, and it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped up his face in his mantle. He went out and stood in the entering of the cave and behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here? He doesn't come out of the cave. He stands at the entrance of the cave even after God speaks to him and God said, what do I have to do to convince you to come out of this cave? Let me tell you about cave dwellers. This is what Satan loves to do. He's very good at math. Satan loves division so that he can bring subtraction. He wants you to be separate from everybody. When you get offended, stop going to church. Do not pray, do not worship, do not fellowship. Isolate yourself, lock yourself up in your house. Don't take any calls. Claim to be the only one that's doing the, come on now. Claim to be the only one that's doing the right thing and everybody else is doing the wrong thing and you're the only one of your kind left. That's the way a cave dweller talks and that's the way a cave dweller lives. And it's not what God wanted for Elijah. He said, what are you doing in there? Get out of that cave. I'm warning you. It may not be in your life right now, but it's coming. Something's going to cause you to be afraid or be offended. And I'm warning you, don't go to the cave. Stand on the mountain. Don't go to the cave. Stand on the mountain. Furthermore, he said, 
I've been jealous for the Lord, the host, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. See, he's got this all rehearsed. He says the same speech every time. He doesn't change anything. Let me tell you, I, I got to share this with you. I know I'm, I'm running out of time here, but I just have to do this. Elijah was totally wrong. He was incorrect of his analysis of the situation. His fear was unfounded. It never happened. I'm, I'm all by myself. Listen to this. These, these are the latest statistics I've received from the United Pentecostal Church. I'm the only one left. The current number of ministers in the United States and Canada in the United Pentecostal Church are... Ministers, 10,725. The number of works in the United States and Canada, 4,883. The number of people in the United States and Canada, 800,000. A 10% increase. Foreign missions, the number of missionaries that we have currently, 30,000. 626, the number of works, 37,557. The number of people on foreign mission soil, converts, 4,474,121. Giving us a total of 41,351 ministers, 42,440 works, and 5,274,121 people, a 200% increase overall. You think you're the only one? You are incorrect, sir. You are incorrect, ma'am. We are on the grow. We're one of the fastest growing movements in the world today. But you don't see that. Because all you see is the little area that you and I live in. And every once in a while, we get to peek behind the curtain and see what God is doing. And it's incredible. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he will not fail. So this is what God says to him in verse 15. And the Lord said, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus and when you come, anoint Haziel to be the king over Syria. Here's, and you can read the rest of it on your own because I'm out of time. But here's what he told him to do. Get back to work. Get out of your cave. Get to work. Stop being alone. Go find Elisha. That's you read it in the next couple verses. Go find Elisha, mentor Elisha. And he is to live with you. You're gonna live in the same room with that guy. And you're gonna mentor him. Getting alone is never the answer. Forsake not the assembling together of yourselves and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I see the day approaching. We should be getting together more frequently. Oh, I, hey, and before you jump on that other thing and say, well, we're, we're not caught. Hey, you need, listen, take precautions. Use common sense. 
But don't be alone. Don't be alone. That's why we're called, you know, one of the things I love about this, this movement is we call each other brother and sister. Bible says as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you're a female, that makes you a daughter of God. Sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. You can skip the Mr. Mr. Jeff Brown and just call him Brother Brown. How's that? That's the way you teach your kids, by the way. When I was growing up, my parents taught me that you call adults Mr. or Mrs. Well, we got that covered. We call each other brother and sister. And if you forget their name, you can just call them brother. Let's stand together. Go stand on the mountain. Don't hide in a cave. Jesus, we're so thankful tonight for the great and awesome things that you are doing. You never change. And we are so thankful for the many blessings that we've experienced as a church body and as brothers and sisters in Christ and the way that you've kept us. Thank you, Lord, for acknowledging what our abilities and lack of abilities are and and for setting up boundaries as to how far Satan can go and what he can and can't do. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.